I'm going to turn to reading scripture now. We'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. So 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Hear these words. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. As we come to God's word again, let's pray for his help and understanding. Lord, we're here to to hear from you as we read your word and hear it proclaimed. And we know that you have the words of life. There is no one else and nowhere else that we can go for salvation and eternal life. And Lord, we pray that you would then make us attentive, make us listen with eager hearts, wanting to hear from you, wanting to be changed by you. And Lord, we pray that you would be gracious and send your spirit so that we are changed, so that we are saved, so that we are following you. We pray this all knowing that you answer in Jesus. In Jesus' name alone, amen. This morning our sermon is coming from Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. I'll say just at the very beginning, I've only chosen two verses this week, because what we're about to read in these two verses is really the center of the letter to the Colossians. You can think about these verses as as kind of the theme, the theme verses of the entire letter. So we need to give extra attention to what Paul is saying in these verses. And with that in mind, let's read them together. So Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the theme, the real center of Colossians. And the main idea of these verses, and the main idea of actually all of Colossians is this, that God calls us to live in the fullness of Christ Jesus the Lord. Again, God calls us to live in the fullness of Christ Jesus the Lord. In this passage, Paul is really taking 
the, the, that basic truth of the gospel, that who Jesus is and what he's done changes everything about us. It gives, he gives us salvation and then he gives us life. So who he is and what he's done changes how we live. And he's taking that truth now and he's applying it to the Colossians. But these verses here are really only the beginning of what Paul's going to say. Paul is laying the foundation of everything else he's going to say in the letter. If you were just to flip through the rest of the book, you will see that Paul has a lot to say about how we need to live. Don't give in to false teaching. Focus on heaven. Kill sin and pursue righteousness. Live in godly relationships. Pray. All of these things, all of these commands that are coming flow from these verses right here. They flow from the gospel that Jesus is Christ Jesus the Lord. And in that name, Paul is showing us the fullness of our Savior. So as we look at this passage together, we're going to see two very basic points. Number one is receiving Christ Jesus the Lord in verse 6. And then second, we're going to see walking in Christ Jesus the Lord in verses 6 to 7. So first, we're going to see receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. And we see that in verse 6. Paul writes in verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What Paul is doing is starting by making the Colossians look backwards. As you received the Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul, Paul is pointing the Colossians back to the time when someone like Epaphras brought the gospel to the city of Colossae. That is when the Colossians received Christ. Now we sometimes say something that, that sounds similar to what Paul says here. We might say like, you need to receive Jesus. Or even more strongly, receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And what we mean when we say receiving Jesus like that is that you need to believe in Jesus. You need to exercise faith and take hold of Christ. And when we say those words, the focus is really on you and what you need to do. That's actually a biblical idea. You do need to believe in Christ. Think about what Paul tells the Philippian jailer. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. But in our passage today, Paul's, Paul's emphasis or his focus is a little different. He's certainly talking about our faith. But Paul's emphasis is more on who we have received. He's not as much looking at us as much as he is looking at Christ Jesus, the Lord. His emphasis is on Christ and all that he is. And Paul is also emphasizing what we have been taught about Christ. You know, that the word receive, that word is used in other places in the New Testament to talk about receiving the gospel. We read from 1 Corinthians 15 earlier, and there Paul writes that the Corinthians received the gospel that Paul preached. And what did they receive? Well, they received that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was raised, and that he appeared to many. 
So in other words, when, we're, when Paul is talking about receiving here, he is focusing on the content of the message. It's the truth. It's the teaching that's in view. Again, faith is certainly present, but it's the content of what we believe that's the focus. At this point, you might be thinking, what's the big deal? What's the difference between our believing and what we're believing in or who we're believing in? Well, did you notice how Paul describes Jesus in verse 6? It is very striking. He says he is Christ Jesus, the Lord. Paul is encouraging the Colossians to think about who they know Jesus is. And Paul does that by using the three names of Jesus all together, Christ, Jesus, the Lord. And each one of those names communicates more about who Jesus is and what he's done. What he's done. Let's look at each name briefly here. Christ, what does that tell us about Jesus? Well, Christ is the name that Jesus has as the promised Savior. God promised to send the Christ the Messiah, to save his people from our sins. What about Jesus? Well, Jesus, that's the name Jesus was given when he was born. And it shows that he really is human, just like us. But more than that, it shows that he came to save us. Because Jesus, the actual name means that God saves. So right there, we see our Savior again. And then Paul says that he is the Lord. This name shows that Jesus is God. That the Lord is, the, is one of the names that God uses of himself in the Old Testament to show his power and also to show his covenant love for his people. So by calling Jesus the Lord, Paul is showing us Jesus is fully God with that same power and that same love for his people. Now we know that all that I've just said is really, only the, is really only beginning to describe who Jesus is and, and what he's done. We're, we're, we're barely scratching the surface, even as we look at those names. And that's actually Paul's point, because he wants us to look further. We are not supposed to stop here. We're supposed to think further about the identity and work of Christ. Notice what Paul says. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ, He's actually pointing the Colossians back to what he has been teaching them in this very letter. And if you look in chapter 1 and 2, you are beginning to realize there is so much more that is true about Jesus. What has Paul showed us already in this letter? Well, he showed us that Jesus is the center of God's plan for everything. Jesus created everything. He sustains everything. He reconciles everything. Without Jesus, the world would fall apart. Without Jesus, creation would remain broken by sin and and alienated from God. Without Jesus, there would be no hope of salvation for us. Paul also showed us that Jesus is the head of the church, that he's present with his people, that he will sit in judgment on the last day, that he's been revealed to us by God, and that he has all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. All of that and so much more is what Paul means when he says, Christ Jesus, the Lord. And remember Paul's point here. You have received this truth. You know it. 
You have been taught it that Jesus is this and more. I'm sure the Colossians didn't learn this all at once. And maybe some of what Paul is writing actually in this letter is, is something new about Jesus Christ for them. That could be true for us as well as we looked at Colossians 1 and 2. Maybe these were new ideas or, or deeper understanding of who Christ is. But, but what Paul and the others have been teaching the Colossians about Christ is really the same message that the Colossians first believed. He's not coming with something new or different. He's coming with something deeper and richer. It's the same message of Christ, but there are more details now. There's more richness to what they now know. I want you to think about your own experience, because this is true with us as well. If you are a Christian, what did you understand about Jesus when you first believed? What did you know about Christ? Maybe there was a moment of conversion, so you can kind of pin that down and say, I knew this, this, and this when I came to Christ. For some of us, we were came kind of a Christian as a process, right? Maybe when we were younger. But the question remains, what did you understand about Jesus when you first believed? And hopefully now you understand so much more. As we know Christ, we are growing in what we know. Everyone understands who Jesus is and what he's done, what he's doing and what he will do. And we grow in that understanding day by day. And part of what Paul has been teaching the Colossians in this letter is what it means to have that knowledge. There is a fullness. There is a complete sufficiency in Christ. One of the takeaways from this letter is that everything depends on Christ. This truth that we received also about Christ Jesus should change our lives. Because if everything depends on Christ and we have everything we need in Christ, then every aspect of our lives depends on Christ and is supplied by Christ. And this is where Paul takes the Colossians to show them what it means to live in the fullness of Christ. And that takes us to our second point, walking in Christ Jesus the Lord in verses 6 to 7. Paul is connecting what we know about Christ to how we live our lives. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Say, you know who Christ is. You know his identity, his work, his fullness, his sufficiency, his power. Now take that and walk or live in that Savior and Lord. And Paul brings out that connection even more clearly when he writes that we're meant to live in him. You know, Paul could have said, live with what you know about Christ. You've learned a lot, so go live like you know it. Um, That's maybe the uh, the textbook approach to Christianity, right? We do this in other areas of our life, and and it's okay that maybe you've learned a lot about marketing or welding or window installing or whatever it is. And then I could say, now go and use what you learned. Go and do a good job. But what we know about Christ is not just facts like that, something apart from Christ. When we believe the gospel, we believe Christ. And when we understand and believe, then we are united to Christ in faith. We are now in Christ. 
It's not that what we know about Christ is out here and Christ himself is around here somewhere. No, what we know about Christ connects us by faith to Christ himself. And Paul is driving home the point that we ought to live in Christ in his fullness. Because who are we united to? Who are we living in? We are living in Christ Jesus, the Lord, the fullness of what that means. Let me give you an example of what that might look like to live in Christ Jesus, the Lord. Last week, we saw that in Christ are all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. I said, Christ has everything that we need. Everything is there. Now, if we really believe this, if we really believe this, what should happen when we hit a difficult situation when we need wisdom? What should we do? Well, you can certainly ask other people what to do, especially other mature believers. That's, that's a good thing to do. But what we need to be doing the most is turning to Christ. We need to be spending time in prayer and God's word, seeking the wisdom that Christ alone can give. We know what we should be doing. We know what we have in Christ. But you know what? That's not our immediate response. Sometimes it's our response, but it's not our consistent response to turn to Christ. But Paul is saying that who Jesus is changes how we live. There's supposed to be a consistency between what we know about Christ and how we live every moment of our lives. Let me, let me just give you a, a silly sounding example to, to show this, right? What if you were a millionaire? Okay, there, was, there was millions of dollars in your bank account and you never spent a penny of that. You had all that money sitting in the bank. You knew it was there and you knew how to use it. But you chose to live like you had nothing. You would not be living consistently with what you know and what you have. When we are in Christ, we are not supposed to be like that. What we know and believe about Christ changes everything in our lives. We are meant to live like who we are in Christ with access to those riches, with access to the fullness of Christ, to his love, his power, his mercy, his grace, all of that. That is how we should live. Now, like I said at the beginning of the sermon, Paul is actually about to tell the Colossians many things about what that kind of living looks like. He's going to show what it means to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord in many different areas of our lives. He's going to get very specific But in verse 7, Paul chooses to look at four kind of big picture ways that we're meant to walk in Christ. Think of this as as a big overview of what he's going to say in the next few chapters. Paul writes, So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's striking what Paul says here because he's actually prayed for very similar things just a few verses before. In chapter 1, 9 through 12, he prays that the Colossians would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And now he turns those prayers into commands. So how are we supposed to walk in the Lord? Well, he says first that we are meant to be rooted in Christ Jesus the Lord. It's the picture of a tree. When, When you see a really tall tree we probably don't immediately think about the roots, right? We see the trunk, we see the branches, we see the leaves. 
Those roots, though, are crucial. Those roots are, are deep underground, and they are keeping that tree upright and steady. That, that tree can, can sway in the wind, even in strong wind, but those roots under the ground are keeping the tree standing strong. Our roots as Christians are meant to be in Christ because it's in Christ that we are getting our strength and our stability. If we are ever trying to walk in Christ and we are not firmly rooted in Christ, then we are in for a disaster. If we are not in church, being fed by Christ and worshiping God and fellowshipping with the saints, if we are not regularly studying scripture and meditating it on our and praying, then the best case scenario is that our roots are shallow. But for someone like that who may claim the name of Christ and is not doing any of those things, I would question whether they have any roots in Christ at all. And if we're in that situation, even a little faith, but we're trying to grow in, if we have shallow roots, then a hard situation or some new idea, it can knock us right over because we are not rooted in Christ. And we are meant, again, to be rooted in the fullness of who Christ is. Our roots are meant to sink down and down and down into Christ. We are never going to hit the bedrock. We are never going to exhaust the stability and the strength and the riches of Jesus Christ. And the deeper we go, the deeper those roots go, the more we understand and love and believe Christ, the stronger we stand. This idea of stability and strength is, is part of what Paul also means when he talks about the second big picture truth of walking in Christ. He says we are built up in him. Instead of a tree now, Paul has a, has a building in mind. A building is built on a strong foundation. And that's us as well. We are built up in Christ. Now, I remember many years ago talking to an engineer and he told me why the Leaning Tower of Pisa leans. Do you know why? They got the foundation all wrong. The ground was too soft and they did not anchor the tower onto something solid. That's why it's leaning over. And that's, that's pretty bad. That's malpractice as an engineer. But it is so much worse for us if we are trying to walk in Christ, but we're also trying to find a foundation somewhere else besides Christ. The good news for believers, if we really truly are in Christ, that we are built on Christ the rock. And we can put foundations elsewhere, but we are firmly grounded on Christ. But it's true that each one of us still tries to go on building our lives on other things in addition to Christ. It could be kids. You know, my life revolves around my children. My life is built on their needs or or what I want for them. Sometimes we try to build our lives on, on money. You know, my life really rests on how much money I have in the bank. But then when the market goes down or I'm laid off or when I find myself spending too much, you know, money turns into a pretty shaky foundation. It could also be pride. We try to build our life on pride. My life really rests on what I've been able to do, whether in my work, whether in my life, my family, whether in my faith. And pride, pride is a foundation that each one of us tries to build on. And the gospel graciously destroys this foundation every single time. Because if Christ is all, If Christ has done all, if Christ will give us all, there's nothing for us to do. 
our pride, our pride is sin. We are trying to take the place of Christ and say, hey, I'll offer a little bit of my sin for salvation. That's never going to work. And if you build on that pride, if you build on that sin, it's like building on quicksand. Apart from Christ, we are sinking down to hell that way. And with Christ, each and every time that we try to build on pride, he graciously takes us out of that quicksand and he puts us back on the firm foundation of himself. We just sang, my hope is built on nothing less. It's an amazing hymn. I love it. And here's the refrain. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The only firm foundation we can have is Christ. And again, it's Christ in his fullness. There is no part of our lives that does not rest on the foundation of Christ. There is no part of our lives that does not rest on Christ in his fullness, in his riches, in his power, everything that he has for us. Now, Paul says that that our deep roots and that, that firm foundation of Christ lead us to thirdly being established in the faith just as you were taught. The the faith is really what we've been taught. Again, the content of what we believe. And Paul says that resting on Christ leads us to being strengthened in what we know and believe. Maybe I can put it this way. The firmer the foundation, the higher the building can be. We know that's true. Well, the firmer the foundation, the stronger the building is as well. And that's true in our lives as well. The strongest Christians are not always say this tongue-in-cheek, are not always the ones who've read the most systematic theology books. Doctrine matters. Don't get me wrong. Doctrine matters. But doctrine is meant to be devotional. It's meant to be devotional. I don't mean you have to go buy devotion books. That's not what I mean by that. Devotional, I mean that doctrine is supposed to take us back to Christ. And it's supposed to take us back to Christ in worship and in thanksgiving. So the strongest Christians are actually those who know Christ best. Those who know what they believe and who they believe in. Now Paul says that the fourth and the last big picture part of living in Christ is being abounding in thanksgiving. That kind of thanksgiving is actually one of the themes of Colossians. We see it in other places in scripture as well. Take what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, we're meant to give thanks in all circumstances. So so living in Christ means constant thanksgiving. But abounding thanksgiving, that's a different idea. It means the idea of kind of overflowing thanksgiving. It's not not just a steady trickle of thanksgiving. It's kind of that that gushing spring of thanksgiving. Even as as I say that, maybe you're like me, I, I kind of feel tired as I think about what what it means to give thanks like that. And we're probably actually not very good at giving thanks to start with. That is something that we all struggle with, is not giving thanks and actually being ungrateful for what God has done. But, But the greatness of Christ, the greatness of our salvation leads to this kind of abundant thanksgiving. It really does. Think again about the fullness of Christ that Paul has been describing. If we have Christ then we have all. The amazing, deep fullness and abundance of Christ leads us to give thanks in a similar way, 
See, it's the abundance of Christ that pushes us, empowers us to give abundant thanksgiving back to Him. Now, if you struggle with thanksgiving, and I do, let me give you an idea. First, pray that God would give you a heart that wants to be thankful. We have to actually pray for those things. But then, what are we supposed to be thankful for? Well, why don't you just take Colossians? Take what Paul has said about Christ in Colossians 1 and just take those, those truths and turn them into thanksgiving. Turn those into prayers of thanksgiving. But there's more that we can be thankful for. It's actually buried right here in the text. Do you know what is most encouraging about Paul's command to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord? What I find most encouraging is actually that it's God who is the one who is causing us to walk in Christ. Did you notice that those four descriptions of walking in Christ are actually God's work? Right? God is the one who roots us in Christ, who builds us up in Christ, who establishes us in the faith, and who brings thanksgiving. That's God's work. And even that basic command to walk in Christ is only possible because we are in Christ. So we look at our salvation, we look at these commands of what we need to do, we need to remember the truth of the gospel that our salvation from start to finish is God's work. That is how these things are going to happen. This is how our life is going to change. And if you think about what Paul is saying here, think about what we have in Christ. Christ Jesus the Lord died for all of our sins if we're in Him. That's what he said. That means that Christ has died for the very ways that we don't walk in Him. And more than that, Christ has actually obeyed in our place so that now as God looks at us, He sees us as those who have perfectly been walking in Christ all of our life. And even more than that, that is amazing, but even more than that, Christ through His Holy Spirit then makes us walk in Him. He actually makes us holy and He brings us to heaven where we will be perfect. All of these things are what we have in Christ. Now remember that what Paul is saying here, Paul says that what we know and believe about Christ Jesus the Lord shapes every single aspect of our lives. I want you to take a moment now. Take a moment And think about a particular sin or a struggle that you're going through right now. I really want you to do that. Think about a specific sin in your life or a struggle. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you're dissatisfied. You're dealing with grief. You find yourself with little wisdom. Maybe you're struggling with health. You fill in the blank. There could be so many more things. But what we know and believe about Christ Jesus the Lord should change how we walk in these struggles and we these sins. Let me just, just close with this, this application, this encouragement to you. Whatever came to your mind as I just said that, take that sin, take that struggle, and take it to our all-sufficient Savior and Lord. And don't just take it now. Though you can start now. Take it to Christ this week. Really see how Christ in his fullness, Christ in his greatness is able to meet us in our weakness. He really is. And I'm not promising 
Hear me out. I'm not promising an, an easy instant fix, and God doesn't promise that either. But what God does promise and what God does show us is we have an all-powerful, completely sufficient Savior. Christ is more than able to meet every single one of our needs because of who He is and what He's done. That is part of the grace of the gospel that God has given us Himself in the person of Jesus Christ to meet our needs of sin to meet our needs of living in a fallen world, to meet every single one of our needs for salvation, obedience, everything that we'll need in this life and in the life to come. So I encourage you to take your sins, take your struggles to Christ and to rest in Him, our complete and full and sufficient Savior. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, it is good to see who Christ Jesus the Lord really is. Often, Lord, we, we though see Him not as He is. We, we see Him as a, a smaller version of, of what we actually need. We thank You that You have given us a Savior who loves us, a Savior who is powerful, a Savior who is strong, a Savior who is perfect and full Every one of our needs we can bring to you, Jesus Christ, because you will meet every single one of our needs. Lord, we pray that as we have seen who Jesus Christ is, that we would also, in our families, be living that out, in our workplaces, be living in the fullness of Christ. And as we speak to others, that we would proclaim the wonder of what it is that we can call Jesus Christ the Lord, our Savior, our Lord, and our God. We thank you that you have promised to do these things, to answer and to work, to make us more like Christ Jesus, our Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.